Well, good morning, Warehouse Church. It's good to be with you this morning. It's good to be with those of you that are worshiping with us online. And I was just sitting there thinking, I was, I was wondering, I wonder how many of y'all maybe feel a little overwhelmed. Maybe anyone feel a little overwhelmed, like life is taking over. Maybe feeling like that big wave is about ready to crash over you. Maybe you feel like you're in a little tight spot. You don't know what to do. I was thinking about it. I was like, I want you to know that you're in good company. That you're not alone. That, that there are other people in this room that are feeling the very same thing that you are. Having the very same feelings of not knowing what to do. Feeling overwhelmed. Feeling uh, maybe depressed or anxious. But I also want you to know that there's hope. That there's always hope. That in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the struggles that we go with in our day-to-day -day lives, that there is a God that loves you, there's a God that cares about you, and he's always with you. And we said last week three really important words that God, well, four actually, four important words, God is in control. He's in control. And so if you came in here this morning and you're feeling a little down, you're feeling overwhelmed, maybe you're feeling really blue, maybe you're feeling anxious, maybe depression has its hold on you, I want you to know that God is in control, that there is hope. And the book of Daniel is a beautiful book that reminds us that God is always with us, even in the midst of the fiery furnaces that we face in life, that God is with us. So let's just pray this morning before we go any further. Father God, I thank you. I thank you that you are in control. God, I thank you that your word reminds us that we are free. That when we surrender our lives to you and we say yes to you, we are free. We're free from sin. We're free from temptation. We're free from the, the things that hold us down. God, I thank you that in your word, you also remind us that you are always with us. That even though we walk through the shadow of the valley of death, that you are with us. So Father, I pray this morning. I pray for those folks that maybe have walked through those doors today and they're looking for hope. Father, maybe they came here today uh, depressed, or maybe they came here today overwhelmed, or maybe they came here today just at the end of their rope. And Father, pray, I pray that they would leave here transformed and changed and renewed and refreshed and knowing that you are always, always with them. God, thanks for reminding me of that. And thanks for constantly reminding me of that. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, today we continue our sermon series on the book of Daniel. And so we're taking the summer and we're going through the book of Daniel chapter by chapter. And, and, uh, and we are, it's called Daniel, following God through Babylon or in Babylon. And we uh, have made the statement that we're living in a cultural Babylon right now. And what that means is the world has changed, right? The world has changed dramatically, especially over the past few years. And I think of things like how the world has changed through the internet. I think of how the world has changed through social media. I think of how the world has changed through technology. Uh, but more than that, I think of all the attitudes and, and values and beliefs 
and the character of people that has changed radically over the past few years. I mean, so many books have come out over the past few years, uh, and they've been written lately with titles like Thriving in Babylon, uh, or, or Exile in Babylon, or Living in Babylon, and, and making sure that we understand that, that this world that we are living in is a different world and a different culture. And many of us, if we're really honest, many of us who claim to follow Jesus, we're even confused. We're confused on what a biblical view is of today's world versus a secular worldview. And some of us have even bought into the worldview, uh, secular worldview, and we've even, uh, we've blurred the lines. And we blurred the lines between what God's word tells us and what the world tells us. And, And Daniel is so relevant. It's so relevant for us today because, because honestly, we live in a world where our values, the things that we value, that we get from the word of God, God, the things that God has said, these are the things that I want you to value, are so vastly different than what the world t- teaches and tells us. And, and I just want you to think about the conversations uh, that if you're a parent that you're having with your kids today. I mean, think about the conversations that you have to have with your kids today. They're vastly different than the ones that our parents had with us. That the, the conversations that my mom and dad and the values that my mom and dad instilled in me and the conversations that we had late at night on the side of my bed are vastly different than the conversations that you as parents are having with your kids today and that I'm having with my kids today. And as we think legacy, and that's one of our core values here at Warehouse Church, is we always want to be thinking about the generations that are coming up behind us. And as we think legacy, the challenge for us as parents and as grandparents and as aunts and as uncles is to help our children, to help our children and our grandchildren to navigate through this cultural Babylon that we live in. And and so the question we are asking is how do we live in this world? How do we not just survive in this world, but how do we thrive in the world that we live in? And just a quick recap for us. In week one, uh, we discovered in Daniel chapter one, we discovered that we need to resolve now. Like now, we need to resolve now what our values. If you haven't done this, you need to do this now. What your values are going to be, what values are you going to hold on to, no matter what the circumstances And last week, we talked about uh, wisdom in Daniel 2, and we said that God is in control. And some of us need to believe that. Some of us need to really own that phrase, that God is in control, and we need to go to God for wisdom and how to navigate uh, our way through this Babylon, this cultural Babylon that we're living in. And you see, we live in a, and when I say Babylon, what I simply mean is we don't live in a Christian nation anymore. We don't live in a Christian culture anymore. And so we are living in what we call Babylon, a cultural Babylon. And today I want to talk about how do you worship God and God alone in a culture that says you can worship whatever you want. Like how do we do that? How do we, how do we uh, worship our God and only our God when everyone else is saying you can worship this over here, you can worship that over there. You know, you really don't need to worship God. I mean, you can throw a little God in there if you want. Like go to church on Sundays and that's good. You've done your thing. You've worshiped God. Uh, and how do we do that? Uh, how, how do we live in this world and worship God alone when the world tells us that we can worship whatever we want? And the r- truth is, And whether you believe it or not, the truth is we are all worshiping something. 
Like you were designed and created to worship. That's how God created you. So we're all worshiping something. And the question is, what are you worshiping? What do you worship? And when I was young and foolish, I bought a 1993 Mustang GT convertible. It's reef coral, by the way, two-tone. It was just like this, white interior. Uh, it was an amazing car, super fast, got in a lot of trouble in it. And, uh, and I love this car. And, uh, and, and I spent hours every week keeping this car clean. Like every hour that I had extra, I was out there washing it or shining up the rims or taking a, looking at the interior and what could I do to it. And I was, I was just in love with this car. And it was quickly becoming my object of worship because we all worship something, right? That's what we were created to do. And, and so once I discovered that this car was becoming an idol in my life, I knew that it was time for it to go. I knew that I had to get rid of this car because I knew I was created to worship God and God alone. And this car was becoming my idol. This car was becoming more important in my life than God. And maybe you can relate. Maybe there have been things, maybe it's not a car, but maybe it's a job or maybe it's a title or maybe it's a family, but we've all uh, had experiences where things have become more important to us than God. And so today I want us to discover how can we worship God and God alone? And I believe that Daniel... The book of Daniel chapter 3 gives us some wisdom for how we do that in this foreign world that we live in. And the first truth that Daniel will show us is simply this, that God is in control. And you're going to hear this over and over again, but I want you to, I want you to like believe it. I want it to be in your heart that God is in control. And we said that last week, uh, we said the phrase that God is in control of those who are in control. But he's also in control of those who are out of control. Like when your life seems to be spiraling out of control, guess what? God is still in control. As the world seems to spin out of control, and as we look at uh, this political leader, or we look at that nation, or we look at this spiritual teacher, uh, or maybe we wonder what in the world is going on, we need to be constantly reminded that God is in control. And this is a huge theme throughout the book of Daniel. And today we will see that even when we are faced with the temptation to worship idols like a 1993 Mustang GT convertible coral reef white interior, uh, that we remember that God is in control. That God is in control of those who want to change our values to match the world's. So that's the first truth we'll learn from Daniel, that God is in control. The second truth is that God is with us. We're going to learn in just a few minutes that God is with us. I mean, I wonder, have you ever had that feeling like God has left the building? Like maybe you feel like in your prayer life that God's not uh, present uh, as you're doing your, your, as you're trying to live the Christian life. You feel like God's not around. Uh, he is just checked out. Uh, maybe you feel like I don't, you feel like God's not nearby, or maybe you feel like your prayers hit the ceiling and fall back down on you, uh, like he's not listening. Maybe you're struggling to feel like God is present in a trial or a situation. And, and, and I want you to know that God is with us. And this is something that we'll see in today's scripture, that, that what God wanted the nation of Israel to know more than anything else was that he was with them. I mean, look at Psalm 23. What does it tell us? It says, the Lord is my shepherd, right? And then it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Because why? Because God is with me. 
In Psalm 16, when the king was facing death, he says these words. He says, I will not fear because the Lord is near. I'm not going to be afraid of the circumstances. I'm not going to be afraid of the situation I find myself in. I'm not going to be afraid that my business is going to close. I'm not going to be afraid that I'm not going to find a job. I'm not going to be afraid that I'm going to lose my marriage because the Lord is near. The Lord locks closely, he says, with those who he has chosen. So God is always present. And we will learn specifically in just a few minutes that God is with us even in the fiery furnace. The third truth that I think we'll learn from Daniel today is this simple truth that, uh, and it's a crucial truth for us today, is that God is in heaven. And what do I mean by that? Well, Paul says that we are just foreigners. We are strangers here, that we're just visitors, and that our citizenship is not here, but it is in heaven. It says that our spiritual blessings are in heaven, that we are seated with Christ in the heavenly place. And that we have a God that is in heaven, and for the book of Daniel, and for the Israelites, and for those in Judah, it was to remind those faithful Jews that God, their God, our God, was supreme. And that's why God gave us the Ten Commandments. If you look at the Ten Commandments, the first half of the Ten Commandments is all about God. And it's all about our focus should be on God. It says that we should have no other gods. It said that we should have no graven idols. And that there is only, because there is only one God in heaven, that there's only one Father above, that there's only one Lord of Lords and King of Kings, that there's only one Almighty God, and that is the God that we worship. There's only one God in heaven. And so we're going to continue to explore these truths today. But before we jump in, I think we really need to ask ourselves this really important question. And you need to answer it honestly. Do you believe that there's only one God in heaven who is a supreme God and that is the God in whom you alone are going to worship? Do you believe that? That is the question I think we have to ask ourselves before anything else makes sense. And how do we make sure? How do we make sure that we do not fall into the temptation of worshiping false idols or other gods? How do we make sure that we are centered and our lives are centered on the one true God? And I think that we need to do what Daniel did in Daniel chapter 1, and we need to resolve. Everybody say resolve. Resolve. We need to resolve in our hearts that we are going to worship God alone. That no matter what else comes our way, no matter what other temptations come our way, that we're resolved that we make a decision, we draw a line in the sand and say, I'm resolved that I am going to worship God and God alone, that God has my number one affection, that God is first and everything else comes after my worship of God. And I think a key phrase for us is this phrase that says that God, uh, the God we trust is the God that we worship, and the God that we worship is the God that we serve. So I wonder, who are you trusting in? Who do you put your trust in? Where is your faith? Where is your hope? Who do you put your hope in? And for some of us, some of us, we are putting our trust in our own success. We're like, I'm putting my trust in my success, or I'm putting my confidence in my job or in my bank account. Some of us put our trust in our finances, and some of us put our trust in our spouse, or maybe we put our trust in a pastor, or we put our trust in a church. And many Americans today, they're putting their trust in a political system or a political figure. 
And what God is saying to us is that our trust should be in the Lord. And that God, the God that we trust in, is the God that we worship. And the God that we worship is the God that we serve. And so today's message is all about how do we make sure we are worshiping the right God. And we find the answer in Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. And we've read this in week 1, but I want to read it to you again because here's what Daniel says. He says, but Daniel did what? Resolved. He resolved not to defile himself with royal food and wine. And how can you be confident? How can you be confident that you are not going to worship idols, that you, are not going, that, that you aren't going to worship uh, false idols, but rather you are going to worship God alone? Well, you must resolve. You must resolve now to worship God alone before the important decisions in life come at you. Like you must make the decision now. You got to draw the line in the sand now before the decisions come your way, before you're faced with making these important decisions in life. You see, we all make important decisions. Some of us make career decisions. Some of us make marriage decisions. Some of us make buying a home decision. Some of us make uh, retirement decisions. We make all these decisions that are life-altering. And by the way, uh, one of our core values is celebrating stories. And I don't know if you knew it or not, but Chandler and Tess are celebrating one year of, of marriage today. And so, yeah. One year ago today, I stood before them and I asked them the questions. I said, are you committed to one another? Are you committed to putting God first in your marriage? And they said, yes. And they said, I do. And then Chandler kissed the bride and they've been married for a year. It seems impossible. It's already been a year. But we have to make, we're always making these life-altering decisions. And Daniel was a young man that was resolved. He was resolved that he was not going to defile himself with the culture. Daniel was resolved that he was going to put God first above everything else, no matter what the consequences or circumstances. And so let's look at three resolutions from Daniel 3 that I think will help us. Will help us to uh, fortify ourselves so that we do not fall prey to the temptation of worshiping other things or putting other things above God. Because here's the reality. Anytime you put anything more important than God, you're worshiping a false idol. And that's just the reality. That's the truth. Because we were created to worship God. And we were created to worship. We're all going to worship something. So anytime we replace God with that something, we're worshiping a false idol. And so today we're going to come up with some resolutions out of Daniel chapter 3 to help us to fortify ourselves so that we don't fall prey to worshiping idols. Now, just a quick week recap. In chapter 1, we had Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego uh, resolved not to compromise, and they were found to be healthier, if you remember, and stronger and wiser than all of the, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar's servants. They said, hey, feed us vegetables and water. We don't want any of the food off the king's table. We just want vegetables and water and see that we aren't healthier than the rest. And they were. And so we saw that, and they were elevated because of that to a position of authority. And then in chapter 2, none of the servants, you remember, none of the, 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 the magicians and the sorcerers and the wise men, none of them could interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams. And Daniel said, uh, to, said, I can do it, and here's why. He said, because there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven who can not only give the interpretation, but can also give the dream. 
And he did, and he asked God for wisdom, and God gave him the interpretation and the dream. And he talked uh, about King Nebuchadnezzar being the head, uh, and it was made of pure gold. And since Daniel revealed the dream, Nebuchadnezzar made Daniel and his friends officials. And so they're moving up in the chain, right? And they're moving up in the ladder, and they were now like mayors or governors, and they were put in the king's courts. And then we get to today's chapter, Daniel chapter 3. And there's this transition that kind of takes place. And it says that Nebuchadnezzar created this a monstrous statue that was 90 foot tall and 9 feet wide of himself. Like it was a huge statue of himself. And he summoned his officials, including Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, to come in. And he tells them, he orders them, he says, listen. He says, anytime you hear this music being played, you are to bow down and to worship me. And my statue, my 90-foot image of me. And, and so what would you do? Like if you were in that position, because he's like, and if you don't do it, there's going to be extreme consequences. And I wonder if we were faced with the same situation, what would we do? Like I've seen uh, that in the world we live in, we will do whatever it takes when measures get desperate, Right? Like, I've seen us act in ways that we'll do whatever it takes when things get kind of crazy. I mean, people went crazy when we ran out of toilet paper, right? Like, they did whatever they did. Some of you still have toilet paper left over from four years ago. Like, you've been holding on to it. You're like, it might happen again. I might need some more toilet paper. And you're holding on to it like it was gold. And so we will do whatever in extreme measures. And what is going to happen like, what is going to happen uh, in this world when persecution gets real for us? Like, persecution has happened in all, all over the world. Not here. We don't see it here. Uh, but for Christians all around the world, there is real persecution. And I'll be honest with you, it's coming our way. Like, as our culture falls more, farther and farther apart from a Christian world and a Christian culture, you're going to see persecution. And if I'm honest, if I was a teen like Daniel and Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, or even now, I might be tempted. I might be tempted to bow down and protect myself and protect my family. But here are the resolutions that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego made that I think are so important for us. So if you have your Bibles, I just want to invite you or your Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, turn to Daniel chapter 3 and, and follow along. And here's the first resolution that we see. We see this, that we need to resolve to worship God alone. And this, this is another important word for us, resolve. You're going to see this throughout Daniel, but we need to resolve to worship God alone. And it sounds simple. You're like, I'm in. Like, I'm all in. I'm here every Sunday. I got you. I'm right with you. I'm resolved to worship God alone. But it's easier said than done. But look what Daniel chapter 3 verse 12 says. It says, but there are some Jews. So this is the, uh, so this is the uh, other governors, other people, uh, other mayors and governors, uh, beside Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and they're talking to the king, and it says, to King Nebuchadnezzar, says, hey, king, but there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, you remember them, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold that you have set up. And so some of the king's men, they notice that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are not compromising. They're not giving in. They're not worshiping the 90-foot statue when the music plays. And so they rat them out. 
They ride him out to King Nebuchadnezzar, and, they are, and, and, and we see that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego are resolved to worship God and God alone. They're like, we're not worshiping no 90-foot statue of some ugly king from Babylon. We're worshiping God. Like, we are committed. We're not compromised. We're committed to worshiping God alone. And I wonder, have you resolved? Have you resolved in your heart that you are going to worship God alone no matter what the circumstances Martin Luther once said that whatever your heart clings to, so that is the God that you worship. Whatever your heart clings to, that is the God that you worship. You know, what does your heart cling to? For me, at a young age, it was that stupid Mustang. But now my heart struggles with other things and always keeping in check and balance and not compromising my worship for God and God alone. What does your heart cling to? And this Babylon culture that we find ourselves in, it's easy to find idols. It's easy to find false idols. And they're, they're, they're not 90-foot statues made of gold, but they're all around us. They're, they're the idols of fame or maybe uh, the, uh, the idols of, of pleasure, or the idols of money or sex or security and so on. There's so many idols out there. And, and some of you are like, but I don't, like, I don't, Pastor Rick, I, I don't bow down to any of those. Like, that's not, those aren't idols that uh, attract me. But there are other idols. There are other idols that we as Christians often uh, make in our lives. One idol that we worship is the idol of control. Control is an idol. Uh, it's, for those of you that want to always be in control, like I was driving with my wife yesterday. She was driving and I was riding. And man, I so much wanted to be in control. Like it was driving me nuts. Like I was holding on. I said, hey, he's breaking. He's breaking. Uh, you're, off, you're, you're, you're veering off the road. I, like I, I'm not used to riding. I wanted to be in control. And we want to control. We want to control the outcomes. We want to control our spouse. We want to control our kids. We want to control our boss. We want to control the situations that we find ourselves in. And if you are one who always wants to be in control, guess what? You're worshiping yourself. You're not worshiping God. You're worshiping you. And again, God is the one who is in control. And we say we worship God alone. We're going to let him be in control. I had to say to myself, Jesus, take the wheel yesterday a couple times. I mean, I just did. And, and so, so you, um, it means that we're going to be in control and let him be in control of our lives. Remember, God, we said this last week, God's not my co-pilot. God is the one flying the plane. Stop trying to take the controls. Let him fly the plane. And if you're not willing to give up control, you are trusting in yourself. And since you're trusting in yourself, you're worshiping yourself. And since you're worshiping yourself, guess what? You're serving yourself. And then there's this idol of certainty. Not only is there the idol of control, but there's this idol of certainty. Some of us want to know the future. Like we want to know with certainty what our future is going to look like. Like we've got it mapped out. We know exactly what's going to happen at exactly at what time. We feel like we're certain that, you know, when, after we've been married for so many years, we're going to have kids. We're not going to have one kid. We're going to have two kids. We're going to have three dogs. We're going to have two cats. Like you're, you're living out, you're mapping out your life with certainty. And even the disciples, they wanted to know the future. Those guys that followed Jesus, especially the end times, they, they kept asking Jesus uh, when the end times will come. They wanted to know with certainty when Jesus was going to come back. And Jesus said, only the heavenly father knows that. Only the God in heaven knows, but you need to be on your guard. So Jesus said, listen, you're not going to know with certainty when I return, but you need to be on your guard and you need to be prepared. 
But some of us, we need to know for certain. Like we, we, we need to have control and we need to know for certain what is going to happen. And I see a lot of fear in my own life and life of people around me because of so much uncertainty. Like we become unglued when, when uncertainty creeps in, when we don't know the outcome in, 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 in the world or in our lives. And what God is saying to us is this, that he is the one that is certain and he is the one that is the future. And we need to be careful that we're not worshiping the idol of certainty. Like when COVID came, that's the thing that drove us nuts is we didn't know when it was going to end, did we? We didn't know with certainty when it was going to end. We didn't know. And so it drove us nuts and we forgot that God is the God of certainty. Another idol that we worship is the idol of comfort or the God of comfort. Like many of us want to be comfortable, don't we? Like we we want a comfortable lifestyle. Like we want life to be like in our jammies on the couch, sitting there drinking coffee for the rest of our lives. Like that's what we want. I don't care about the coffee myself, but uh, for some of you, that's what you want. And we want, we want a comfortable life. We want a comfortable home. We want comfort food. We want our comfortable relationships. We want our comfort and uh, retirement. We, we just want a comfortable life. We want our comfort zone that we can feel all cozy in for the rest of our lives. And do you ever hear God saying in his word that I'm the God of comfort? Like, does he ever say, I will make every situation comfortable for you? Does God ever say, listen, if you join my, you join my team, that it's going to be rainbows and unicorns from here on out? God has never said those words. He never said that. And these, these are just three examples of idols that we tend to bow down to. Like we could probably come up with three for every letter in the alphabet. Many Christians though, I know this, have drifted into this culture that we live in, this, this worldly culture so much that I don't think we often even realize it. Like we got comfortable in, in COVID, we got comfortable worshiping from our homes. And now it's hard for us to re-engage back into live worship because we got comfortable. And we've drifted and we don't even know that we've drifted. And what God is saying to us is make the decision. Make the decision now. Draw the line in the sand now that you are going to worship me alone. You see, God wants our worship. He wants our worship. The word worship literally means worth. It means what are you giving your worth to? What are you giving your time to? What are you giving your money to? What are you giving your talents to? Whatever that is, that's your God. Like, if you're not sure what you're worshiping, just check out your bank statement. Like, I'd say check out your checkbooks, but nobody has those anymore. So check out your bank statement. Just look and see. What are you spending your time on? What are you spending your money on? What are you spending your talents on? That's what you're worshiping. And we need to be like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego and say, we've already made the decision. Like, in advance, as a family, whatever your family looks like, we've made a decision that we're not going to worship anything but God. And as for me and my house, we worship God alone. Which leads to our second resolution, and it's this, that we need to resolve to be confident in God in the midst of a culture that we find ourselves in. And that's the, that, that's the person that we're placing our hope in. Who is that person? Uh, that's the person that we're trusting in. That's the, the person that we're resting in, God and God alone. Like, are you confident in who God is and what he desires for your life? Now, when Nebuchadnezzar found out that these men, that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego had refused 
to bow down, it says that he became really enraged. Like he got really angry. He became so angry that he called Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego in and he told them, if you don't bow down to me, you're going to walk through the fiery furnace. And they're like, we're not doing it. And so he's like, turn that fire up. Like I want it as hot as you can get it. It was so hot that skin was melting just to be near the fiery furnace. And notice what the confidence, though, of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Daniel chapter 3, verses 17 and 18, it says this. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But, check this out, even if he does not. Can you just say that with me? Even if he does not. We want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. Talk about confidence. King Nebuchadnezzar, we're never going to worship your God. We believe that our God will deliver us from the fiery furnace. And even if he does not, we're still not going to worship your God. They were committed they were resolved that they were going to pay attention to no other gods but to God alone. And now they're saying, with the threat of the fiery furnace, that they're going to put all of their confidence in God. They're like, all of our eggs are in the God basket. Like, not any of them are out of the God basket. We're committed. We've drawn the line in the sand. And even if God doesn't, that's okay. But how do you know? So how do you know if you're putting your confidence in God alone? It's with that statement even if he does not are you going to be in confident are you going to be confident in god even if he does not like are you going to be confident in god even if he does not restore your marriage are you going to be confident in god even if he does not bring the prodigal son back home are you going to be confident in god even if he doesn't give you that job that you want are you going to be confident in god even if he does not restore your finances you see god is in the business of coming alongside of us but he wants us to trust him, even if he chooses for some reason not to go in the direction that you want him to go. That we need to be like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego and say, listen, world, I'm going to follow God even if he doesn't, and you fill in the blank. Job even said it. In the book of Job, and if you don't know the story of Job, I encourage you to go and read it. Uh, everything was taken from Job. And he says these words after he's lost everything. It says, even though he, being God, slays me, I will still place my hope in God. Job's like, I'm resolved. I can lose everything. I've lost my kids. I've lost my farm. I've lost my, my, my life. I've got all this sickness going on in me. And he's like, but I will still place my hope at the end of the day in God and God alone. And so where's your confidence today? Like, where are you placing your hope? You see, hope is a confident expectation that God is in control. That's what hope is, that God has your back. That's what hope is, that God is with you no matter what. And I wonder, are you confident in that? Are you confident in the power of God? Do we believe do you believe that God, the same God that raised Jesus from the dead, has the power to raise us up too? Are you confident? Thank you. Amen. I got one. Yes. Hebrews chapter 11 describes the heroes of faith. And in it, it says this. It says that they kept their confidence in God even though 
many of them didn't experience the power of God here on earth. That all of the heroes of faith kept their confidence in God. They all drew the line in the sand, even though some of them didn't experience the power of God here on earth. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they could confidently walk into the fiery furnace because of the confidence that they had in their God. Which leads to the third resolution and the final one. We need to resolve to trust God in the midst of the fire. We need to resolve to trust God when things aren't going our way. We need to resolve to trust God when life has gotten sideways on us. We need to resolve to trust God when we get that horrible diagnosis. We need to learn to trust God when we lose our finances. We need to learn to trust God in the fire. And I love what King Nebuchadnezzar said in verse 28 of Daniel 3. He says this, Then Nebuchadnezzar said, so they walked into the fire. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they willingly walked through the fire. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and God and defied the king's command, drew the line in the sand, and were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own God. What has happened? Well, what's happened is these three young men trusted God in the midst of the fire. And and as they're walking through the fire, King Nebuchadnezzar no longer sees three men in the fiery furnace, but he he sees four. And and I think the reason that, that these three men could trust in God in such a horrific time and such crazy circumstances was because they knew the promises of God. Like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they knew, they believed, they stuffed in their hearts the promises of God. Promises like Psalm 23 that they knew that said, the Lord is with me, uh, even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. But I also believe they understood the prophecy of Isaiah where it says, even though I walk through the rivers and they may be overwhelming us, he will walk with us and he will deliver us. And even though we're walking through the fire, he will be right there with us and he will not let us get burned. That prophecy was, a hun- was hundreds of years before this happened to Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. They knew the promise that it said that they will walk, that when they're walking through the fire, that God will be with them and not let them get burned. And so for all of us, we need to have promises of God instilled in our hearts. We need to place the promises of God in our hearts. We need to tuck them in our hearts and hide them there for those moments in our lives when the fire gets hot and when the fire is hot all around us, we can claim the promises of God. Promises like Zephaniah 3.17 that says, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. His love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. What a beautiful promise for us that the mighty warrior will come and rescue us in those moments when life is out of control. See, what Zephaniah was saying is this, church, God is in control. That's what he's saying. And so what promises of God do you have tucked away that you can hold on to when when you are in the midst of the fire? You see, when they were in this fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar was shocked when he looked in and he saw a fourth person in the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar describes the fourth person as the son of, as a son of God, but, but he's a pagan god, he's, or a pagan king. 
And we don't know if this was Christ himself. Uh, some, some theologians say it was or if it was an angel, but for sure it was the presence of God with them in the midst of the fire. And the Lord protected them. It even says that when they came out, there wasn't a singed hair on their body. Their clothes weren't burned. They didn't smell of smoke. And, and, and so the Lord protected them. And I think this is the lesson of chapter 3 in the fiery furnace. It's this, that God is always waiting to deliver those who worship him and trust in him alone. Like, do you know that? Like, if you came in here this morning and you're feeling defeated and you're feeling beaten down and you're feeling like the world has turned against you, guess what? God is always waiting to deliver those who worship and trust in him alone. God is always present, wanting to deliver us. But I think, I think that he's looking down on us. And, and, and just like he was looking down on Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, and I think he's like, are they going to worship me alone? Or are they going to bow to King Nebuchadnezzar? Like, I think God's looking at us and saying, all right, Rick, life's gotten a little sideways right now. Are you going to keep the faith and worship me alone? Or are you going to try and do things on your own? Are you going to keep the faith or are you going to try and take control for yourself? Or are you going to follow only me? And so that is the lesson of the fiery furnace, that God is waiting to deliver you. But he's looking and seeing if you will worship him and if you will trust in him. And here's some furnaces that I see today that we face. I, see, I think we face three furnaces in our culture today that trip us up. And the first one is this, it's the furnace of persecution. I alluded to this earlier. Uh, it's happening all over the world. It may not be happening in our view or in our vision, but I'm telling you it's coming and we're gonna see more and more persecution of Christians in our own nation. And, and when persecution does come our way, I just wonder, are we gonna continue to worship God alone and serve him and trust in him alone? Or are we gonna bow down so that we don't face the consequences of worshiping God? The second furnace I see is the furnace of suffering. And suffering, some of you are in the furnace of suffering right now, like you're in the midst of it. And can you worship and serve and trust God in the midst of your pain and in the midst of your brokenness, in the midst of your heartache? And that's hard. It's hard when we're, when we're suffering, but I want you to know that if we will worship God alone, he will make good on his promises and he will be with you in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering. And then there's the third fire, uh, fiery furnace, and it's this one the furnace of trials and temptations. We are faced daily with trials and temptations all around us. James, the half-brother of Jesus, said this about him. He said that we are to consider these trials and temptations to be pure joy. That when trials and temptations come our way, we're like to get excited about that and, and consider them joy because when we face them, we know that God is at work in the midst of the fire. The only way that Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego could jump into the fiery furnace is because they believed with all of their heart. They resolved. They drew the line in the sand to say, I'm going to worship God and God alone no matter what. Even if he doesn't, I'm going to worship him. And we must never forget this lesson of the fiery furnace, that God is with you in the furnace. Even if you don't see him, and you still need to believe. Even if you don't hear him, you still need to believe. Even if you don't feel like it, you still need to believe. Because it was true for them, 
and it is true for us today. And I'll be honest, I don't know what fiery furnace you may find yourself in today. I don't, but I do know this. Without a shadow of a doubt, I know with all of my heart that if you will put your trust in God and in God alone, that he will be with you. He will be with you in the midst of the most challenging of times. And some of us, we're facing some pretty challenging times and moments in our life right now. And I just want to ask you, are you resolved to worship God and God alone in the midst of the fiery furnace that you find yourself in? You see, the same God that was with Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego is the same God that is with us. And his promise is this, that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us. So I pray that you leave here today with hope, hope knowing that if you will resolve in your life to worship God and God alone, that he will always be with you. Even in the craziest of times, he's with you. He will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you again for this amazing book in your word, the book of Daniel. God, I thank you for this overarching theme that we are finding that says that you are in control. And God, when life seems to spin out of control, God, I pray that we would be reminded of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And we would be reminded of their resolve, of their confidence in you, Lord. That they clung to the promises that was found in your word that even when the waters crash over our heads and even when the fiery flames come at us, that we will not drown and we will not be burned because the living God, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings is with us always. But Father, you're only with those who choose to be with you. Lord, you don't force yourself upon anyone. You give us the option free will to choose whether we're going to follow you or not. So maybe there's some people in this room today who have never chosen to follow the Lord of Lord and the King of Kings, Jesus. And today might be the day that they would say yes to you, Lord. If that's you and you're sitting in your seat right now and you're like, you know what? I've never chosen to follow God. But I want to worship a God who promises to never leave me or forsake me. I want to worship a God who sets me free from the sin in my life. I want to choose to follow a God whose hope that's you today let me just invite you right now right where you're sitting just to simply reach out to God and say God I choose you I choose to follow you I want Jesus to be my Lord and my Savior today come Jesus come and be 
my Lord and my Savior. Just invite the Lord into your life. Don't wait another day. Don't wait another minute. Just right where you're sitting. You don't have to walk up here. You just need to say right where you're at, I choose you, Lord. I want you. I say yes to Jesus right here in this place. For the rest of us in this room, I pray that we would resolve, if we haven't already done so, we would draw the line in the sand and say, I resolve today, this day in July of 2023, I resolve to worship God and God alone, that I resolve to put God first in every part of my life. God is first in my family. He's first in my job. He's first where I play. He's first at school. He's first in my free time. God, I choose to worship you alone. I resolve, like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, so that when the moments of the fiery furnace come, I don't have to think twice. I can simply say, I'm choosing God. I'm not choosing a car, I'm choosing God. I'm not choosing a relationship, I'm choosing God. I'm not choosing a temptation, I'm choosing God. Even if he doesn't, I'm choosing God. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us so many different ways. God, you're so good to us. Thank you for hope. Thank you for your promises to always be with us no matter what. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, hey, we're going to stand and we're going to worship together. And as we do, I want to invite you, if you'd like to come and spend time in prayer, you're always welcome to come and pray up here. If you want someone to pray with you, uh, I'd be happy to. I'm right on the front row. I'd be honored to pray with you. Just tap me on the shoulder or bring someone around you. Say, hey, would you come pray with me? And if you said yes to Jesus, let me just invite you to not leave today without telling somebody that you said yes. Like even right now, just begin to think about, tell me the, tell me, or tell someone around you, the person that brought you, the person that you came with, say, I said yes to Jesus today. Because we don't want to keep that to ourselves. So let's worship, let's pray, let's spend time saying yes to Jesus.